Geek Shock. Geek Shock. Steve, your book was chosen for the uh, book club. I saw that. I saw that. I'm. Uh, I'm very. I'll be very interested to see what people have to say about it because I just found it fascinating. First of all, it works great as, um, what would you call it? Like a Tom Clancy, you know, counter espionage type of story, but just with the with you know the protagonists and the, I should say the usual protagonists and antagonists reversed. But then it does. Like like I mentioned in the thing, there's a there's a slight genre shift about three quarters of the way through, and you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm excited so be, for it. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see what people say. And Matt Ruff is just a really great writer, and I'm I'm now very intrigued by the descriptions of his, of his other books. So I may go on a Matt Ruff tear here. Nothing wrong with a good authoritarian authoritarian tear. Authorial? Authorial, thank you. Because yeah. authoritarian <laughs> is something awful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a good old authoritarian. Uh, we just have one of those. Yeah, we've yeah. had yeah. We don't need any more of that shit. Just, just let Steve go on a rough tear. I was going to say a go. rough authoritarian. <laughs> we can always yeah. use a good rough tear. He needs oh, a rough tear. Yeah. Geek yeah. shock. We like it rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, Geek shock. You know, Bareback edition. Oh, <laughs> too far. <laughs> because no innuendo. Reading, Definitely be innuendo. <laughs> because actually reading uh, Lovecraft Country and then following it up with this, I, I'm I'm sold. Matt Ruff is a good writer. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 591. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Back check dandy. Back from the road. Yeah, Professor Biggs. And we're here to talk Week and Geek. No, Matt. Matt, uh, uh, Matt bailed on us because hockey. It's just a workplace thing you got to deal with when you're dealing with a Canadian. The hockey days are a national holiday. You just got to let them have the day off. You mean hockey, eh? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I don't speak Canadian, <laughs> so I appreciate you translating for the folks uh, back uh, up north. I had some Canadian bacon today, so I'm halfway there. Uh, yes, uh, Canadian by ingestion. That's uh, mm -hmm. that that is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Given that face, yeah, Andy, Andy, and Jess, Canadians. So, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? Uh, let's start with you, Jeff. I started Marvel's Modoc on Hulu. Gotta say, I'm on the fence about this show. Oh. It has some moments, but overall, it is very level on the storyline and comedy, i.e. Okay. it doesn't have like any laugh-out-loud moments. It's more of like a huh, moment here and there. Now, I'm only halfway through, so maybe it gets better, but I'm on the fence of whether to recommend it or not. There are certain elements of it I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool, and then I'm like, Groansville the next moment. So, Did you... Um, did you get to the heist episode yet? I'm um, I'm on episode five. I just finished episode five, so I I, I don't know exactly which heist uh, you're one, referring to. The, the one with the uh, with all the lame supervillains. 
Yes, yes. That was that was episode four. Yeah, that one that kind of turned it around for me. I found my problem is I got way too in my head about Patton Oswald. It's like spoiler alert in the end of the first uh, episode, his wife leaves him, and it's like, oh no, no bad wife stuff with Patton. No, no. <laughs> Uh, oh, you're equating it to his personal life? Yes, or? I know, I know. I shouldn't be, but that, that, that's, I couldn't get out of my head for it. Wow. wow. Talk about knowing the performer. <laughs> right. So what's not gelling, then? What's not, well, not working for you? It's, it's, it's billed as a comedy. It is, as of, for me, thus far, not laugh-out-loud funny. Like I said, there's a few snicker moments here and there. But in five episodes, there's really nothing that's made me go, I really want to watch the next episode. It's, it's almost like I begrudgingly watch the next episode because I really like Patton Oswalt. I like the entire voice cast that is part of the, the, um, the project. But I'm, just, I'm waiting for the thing to grip me that goes, you have to watch this. So, you know, maybe that's that sunk cost fallacy thing, but I just, I don't know. I re- it's it's a Marvel project and it is Marvel Studios. So I, but it's also in cooperation with the Robot Chicken people. So I think maybe that was what really drew me to go. Oh, I really want to watch this. But as of right now, I'm on the fence whether it's something I recommend people check out or not. Yeah, I concur. I kind of watch it as homework for the show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now I um I will say the repeated commercial breaks that Hulu has. <laughs> You can see it. What's nice is you can see where the commercial breaks will be. You know when the commercial breaks are going to hit. But the last two episodes that I watched, instead of the 90 seconds worth of commercials, I've had two full minutes of commercials that I've had to sit through in order to continue the episode. So I have literally, when those commercial breaks hit, gotten up, gone to the kitchen, got water, you know, refill a drink or, or a snack or whatever, come back, and then I'll have to still watch another 30 seconds or so of commercials. Right. So, what is this, 2000? It's your classic I, I, pee break. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I just don't know why they increased the commercials on the last couple episodes, whether that's a Hulu thing or specific to this, uh, this series or not, but it, it, it was a little more than frustrating. Get you to shell out for that higher level tier. I don't know. It is a. I mean, I love the animation style. It is the. It's the live action, or I should say, stop motion animation style that they use on Robot Chicken, with you know the decent looking action figures of all the characters. And at the same time, I'm just. I'm like. I feel like I'm waiting for the the episode that goes. This is the episode that makes me say. Absolutely, need everybody needs to see this. And as of five episodes in, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, the fourth episode, I was saying with the, with the lame supervillains, I did enjoy that more than the other ones. And a lot of that was like looking up the lame villains, like, wait, what the, I know that's from something. What the hell was that? I remember reading that. Who is that? And like, well, yeah, the, the lame villain heist episode, I will agree with you, Andy. That is the best one so far in the, in the first five that I've watched. There's still like four more can't remember if it's nine or ten episodes i looked at the list earlier today and i have now since forgotten again they're they're half hour episodes so it, it is fairly easy to get through i don't know it's 10 it's 10 episodes it is 10 okay so yeah i was right it is 10 well anyway. how many shows out there 
you like meh all the way through, and then all, like the last two episodes, you're like, oh wow, that changes everything. It is great now. That uh, doesn't. Exist. It happens every now and then. So maybe that's why I continue to watch it just to see. But I ended up having to take a break. I, like I watched two episodes right off the bat. Then I was like, you know, I'll look at it tomorrow. Maybe the third episode's good. And I think I watched that third episode going, eh. And then a few days later, I went and watched the, the fourth and then the fifth. And, and that's where I'm at. I, I was going to watch some more this afternoon and then, uh, you know, ran out of okay. time before getting set up for the show. That was the main geeky thing I did this week. <laughs> I really, I really wanted to check that show out for the. Oh, I did actually try to start watching Army of the Dead. I, I could not get into it at all. I just, it's yeah. Some, Is it zombie I just, burnout? Uh, I, I think it's just the movie itself. I've really tried to avoid the spoilery reviews, and um, and I remember, you know, your review on it, Todd, and and saying it was kind of meh. And I think that was maybe what I was feeling that like the the first like twenty or thirty minutes of it, and then going, "Wow, this is a long movie to feel meh all the way through." <laughs> so, I, I I I'm just gonna have to give it a try later on. But it was just one of those where it's like, okay, not feeling it yet, not feeling it yet, not feeling it yet. Nope, not being entertained. Don't want to put any more time into this. I know. I feel like Matt. I feel like I'm Matt this week. I'm, I've taken his role. No, like... you, you did something. You did a thing you, that 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 is disqualifying in Matt territory. So <laughs> you're you're fine. Well, I usually like to try to bring things to the show that I like, and it's like the two things that I I watched ah. that I thought I was gonna like. Uh, one of them I'm on the fence about, and the other one I'm like, no, this is a movie that exists, and that's about all I have good to say about it. You did two things, and you have opinions about them. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, if, if you don't like something, great. You're warning people off. That's good. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's not like you, you dislike it out of spite. I mean, yeah. it's one thing if it's like, it's a Zack Snyder movie. I don't like a Zack Snyder. Brr. I watched it out of hate. Um, that's not it. You're, that's I don't hate watch things. <laughs> I don't exactly. hate watch things. All right, Steve, what did you do? Well, I, I closed up this uh, this uh, little uh, production that we called uh, uh, Spider-Man Comic Reading at the uh, at the Maverick Theater in Fullerton. Uh, got great response, but um, we only sold out uh, just a just a handful of times, and which is really kind of disheartening since the theater was only opening at or only operating at forty percent capacity. There were there were even a few shows we canceled just because none of the seats were sold. So I think, oh, yeah. So I think so far as live theater goes, people are still a little, eh. uh, but we'll see because um, the Chance Theater is opening up next month with a pretty good show, and then the Maverick is doing the Crucible uh, in June, uh, June twenty fifth. So we'll see how that all goes. But yeah, it seems like people are still a little. Eh. No, sure. I to be, don't want to know if I want to be in a crowd yet. But the ones that came, they really enjoyed it. And uh, we had our cast party last night, so uh, we were kind of reminiscing about all the stupid stuff that we were doing that hopefully uh, fulfilled its function, but that nobody actually heard what we were doing. Because, <laughs> you know, we had a lot of crowd walla walla. And so, you know, I, I just said, well, I'm actually going to say stuff. I just hope I'm far enough off mic that they can't actually hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Things like risky, Spy 
Yeah, things like Spider-Man through. That's crazy. Oh, you think that's crazy? Look at the sale they're having at Pennies. Who cares about Pennies? Spider-Man's missing. Well, Pennies going to be missing if they keep throwing away money like that. <laughs> you know? Wow. Do it yeah. some goddamn Zucker material. Yeah. <laughs> so just crazy stuff like that. During during one of the fight scenes, I turned one of the guys into Mister Rogers, getting getting in a fight yeah. scene. It's like, ow, oh, that hurts, you know. Ow, oh, I'm going to need some aspirin. Oh, hey, what's going on? Get off hey. my foot. You're on my foot. <laughs> After a few years of Star Trek, I fully understand having to entertain yourself in the middle of a performance. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, hopefully we were, hopefully all the audiences heard was, you know, this they weren't so- actually. Some other geeky stuff, uh, again, uh, besides, besides uh, the Mirage, uh, Andy Weir's latest book, uh, Project Hail Mary, is again it was a really fun read not as not as strong as the martian but still a pretty a pretty fun read and you know of course all the science stuff checks out but uh what what oh, is project hail mary about we discover that something is dimming the sun and if it if it keeps happening we'll be in another ice age and it could be an extinction level event and so we so a, a project is sent out to find you know what it actually is that's um causing the sun to dim and you find out it's interstellar microorganisms that are basically oh god what is it that they're eating they're eating the helium the anyway one of the elements of the sun going to venus to breed in the in the high carbon dioxide atmosphere then going back to the sun and going so there's this there's this thing and they find out over the course of the thing that in our local group, only one star is, does not have this problem. All the others are also dimming. So they send a they send a Hail Mary project out to try to find out, you know, why that one star isn't being affected by the what they call the astrophage. And so yeah, so that's basically what the book is about. The first person narrator wakes up, doesn't really know where he's at, takes him a while to kind of remember where he is and why he's there and what the project is. Uh, and then Falso finds out he's on, <laughs> he's the only survivor of the, of the crew that got shipped out there and then has to figure out what, what's happening. And then something else happens. And then the book kind of, again, you know, slightly shifts the genre about a third of the way through. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, okay, cool. And then that part of it becomes really fun too. It sounds like uh, sunshine, but it happens more on the Earth than the spaceship. Oh, uh, no, this actually happens on the spaceship. Oh, okay, so it sounds like a smarter sunshine then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, as the guy who regains his memories, you get flashbacks. You get flashbacks to, you know, how he ended up on the spaceship and who he, who he was back on Earth and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty wacky. There's one aspect of it that's a little, okay, you just have to wrap your head around that, but otherwise it's... It's it, it it's almost it's almost the uh, there's no way the air is not thick enough on Mars to actually be able to send a heavy object hurling and knocking somebody over uh, aspect of the Martian. There's kind of that thing in this. It's like okay, uh, that's a that's a plot issue. It, it needs to be there for the book to happen, <laughs> <laughs> but but. Uh, it, yeah, it's okay. 
Uh, watched the series finale of Black Lightning. That was Misty making. Just because, again, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Black Lightning. So I sent him a message immediately following just saying, oh, man, you guys, I can't. I, I said, I hope you're proud of the work you guys did because of the CW shows. This is the one that, that oddly enough, felt the most rooted. With the exception of this season with all the CW shows seems to be a little disconnected. And I'm, I'm almost positive that has to do with the COVID restrictions that they had to use while filming. Everything just seems a little like the timing is off. The, the interaction between the characters is a little off. Yeah. And I, I just have a hunch that has to do with who could be on set at any one time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. The other part is like they've they had to take a lot of script ideas from last season and somehow work them into this because I felt that way with the Flash. Like the first like three episodes, yeah, were definitely the episodes that were supposed to be at the end of last season. So yeah. like, why are they rushing through? Rap- oh, that's right. This is the storyline that they had to finish up from last season so they could get into this season's storyline. Yeah. And then, and then that's the other thing is everything does feel a little rushed because all the mm-hmm. episode orders for each of the shows got got abbreviated, so everything also feels a little rushed. Which you know, again, for a CW show, might not be the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching the Nevers, but that's been a pretty fun watch. And then the last geeky thing I did was they had a 35th anniversary showing of Stand By Me uh, in the movie theaters. And so I went and saw that. That holds up very nicely. I adore that movie. I love it so much. Yeah. And what the hell is Goofy? (laughs) (laughs) I was laughing. I was like, oh, yeah, that's where this conversation comes from. That and the, of course, Superman can beat up Mighty Mouse. He's a real guy. Mighty Mouse, <laughs> it's a cartoon. <laughs> the performances that Reiner got out of those kids. Yeah. The, the dude deserves all the accolades and awards. Yeah. It was Jerry O'Connell's first movie. So. And did you read Will Wheaton's take on why he thinks that performance is so good for him? is that he said he felt like he was channeling the actual uh, parental issues that he was having at that time, and they were so parallel to the character that the reason his, you know, his performance stands out in that movie is because a lot of what his character was going through, he was going through in real life. Yeah. And, and um, when you look at it now, based on the things that he said about his issues with his parents and being estranged from them and... And then you see that movie again, you really can go, wow, he, he was going through some shit at that time. Yeah. It being the 35th anniversary Fathom event screening, they did have a little, you know, mini doc uh, just before it. And Reiner talks about that. He, that in the casting process, he, he tried to find out a little something about each kid when they came into audition and tried to, and he said, he said, you know, with, 10 or 12 year olds, you're not going to be able to get the kind of acting performances that you would get from an adult. They just don't have the craft. So he, he purposely set out to try to hire child actors who were as close to the characters as he could get. And part of that has to do with like Will Wheaton and Corey Feldman having anger issues and all that type of thing. And And Kiefer Sutherland being a dick. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, which of course, as usual, is crazy because in real life he's like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, and <laughs> which is usually the case with actors who play villain characters. You know, they're really great villains, and then you meet them in real life, and they're just like the nicest, most giving kind of actors out there. And yeah, it's just fun to play villains. It is. <laughs> It's yeah, the best. And that's kind of it. Um, I've gotten my reading mojo back, so I'm just like going through books like crazy. Oh, wonderful! Uh, I'm I'm still getting mine, but I'm starting to feel there's some gas in the tank finally. So yeah, I I did a nice little chunk of last month's book, the Scalzi's The Android's Dream, and that's really good. I look forward to finishing that, but now I got to move on to the Mirage because that's a that's the now thing. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week was a special week because it was Jake's birthday. And Jake, of course, on Facebook was like, for my birthday, ask me any question and I'll answer it. And so I asked him, what should I watch next? And he told me I needed to watch the Batman animated series from the 90s. <laughs> I, I gave it a pass. I, I talked a bit about this in an earlier show, but just to sum up. It always seemed like a show for kids to me, especially in, in the 90s. When, when I was in college, I got away from animation for the most part, except for the more subversive stuff, you know, Beavis and Butthead and whatnot. But if it was for kids, I put it on, that's, I'm not a kid anymore, that's kid stuff. I don't do that. <laughs> and then, of course, I, I hear the rumblings that, yeah, Batman's pretty good, yeah, okay, whatever you, whatever you say. And uh, finally, somebody convinced me to watch Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the that's supposedly the the really good movie, and I watched it, and it was it was okay. I didn't I didn't think it was the the great piece of work that everyone seemed to think at the time, uh, but again, my I'm expecting a kids movie, and it was a kids movie with a little extra violence in it. <laughs> uh, so for his birthday, I was like, you know what, I will I will watch it. I will I will give it a shot. I will I back. I'll watch it all. There's like 60 episodes in season one. I'm not watching it all, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot, give it a start. And it's, you know what? Not bad. It's not bad. It's uh, aesthetically, it's beautiful. I love that whole Fleischer uh, style that they're, they're aping and th that whole dark design. You can tell they're not drawing on white pieces of paper, but black ones to create everything for that real noir feel. Uh, the performances, of course, are great because they're getting amazing actors. But I got through about five episodes before I fell asleep, and I kept trying to watch more, but I kept falling asleep watching it. I don't know if it was the, the piece or I was just too tired. Uh, either way, I, I gave it a five-episode shot. And again, not bad. You know, It starts with a couple of two-parters, two like the Clayface two-parter, and then there's a two-parter of Catwoman where it begins. It, it, it comes to that whole problem, and I have this problem a little bit, like, even, even though I enjoy The Mandalorian, it, it works with, it's a single story told in small chapters, but if you're going to tell me a single story in an episode, I'm sorry, 22 minutes doesn't cut it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just plain truncated, and it's, it's again, it's perfect for kids. Uh, because it's a short attention span kind of thing, but you're not going to be able to give me a deep story in 22 minutes. I am sorry, uh, un unless you're the unless you're the you can do kind of like a Twilight Zone kind of thing with individual short stories that are are made for that quick punch. But I don't know. Maybe it gets. Does it get kind of like a thing as it goes along where it 
earlier episodes inform later episodes, or is it just continue on? It's like episode one is the story of the man bat, and that, then that's done. Next one is the story of the Joker, and now, okay, that one's done. And I'm, I'm going to give it credit where credit's due. It's beautiful. It's telling a decent Batman story in 22 minutes. I'm going to give it that. It is de- definitely decent, and I know this is where Harley Quinn came from, and so it goes into that later on. Uh, but I still don't think it speaks to me. I, I, I huh. still I still see it as the kids' cartoon that it is. Uh, although I can see why people enjoy it so much, uh, I just want a little more story there. I guess. Well, you don't need to. It isn't doesn't need to be watched in order. Uh, the writing does get better in the later episodes. I mean, it starts off good, but it gets better. Uh, maybe have uh, the monkeys pick out some of the uh, like five of the top episodes that they they would recommend watching. Like I would recommend right. an episode called Almost Got Him, which I just looked up and it's in the second season, episode eighteen. Um, and it's um, the Gray Ghost episode is really good too. Almost yeah. got him. Almost yeah. got him. Yeah, that is the good thing about it is because they're self-contained stories, you really can just kind of pick and choose. You know which ones to watch before you watch any of the other Harley Quinn stories. I would start with the first one, but you know, <laughs> besides that, it's yeah, you really can just kind of pick and choose. I don't know. It's it that that series just blew me away, and and again, if uh, you know, I was seeing Bruce Tim and Paul Dini at, at Comic Con, you know, while that show's in production. And they talked then about being on the kids WB and they said, we have some restrictions that have been frustratingly inconsistent. First, we can use guns. Then we can't use guns. Then we can kill people. Then we can't kill people. And then we, you know, the higher ups are, you know, sending down inconsistent memos all the time. So that's also, I think, part of maybe what you're, what you're getting a sense of there. When, when the success of the show becomes evident, then the higher ups start leaving them alone and then they can kind of just do what they want to do. My fun thing about that was when, Oh God, which live action Batman is it where we he introduced to the Robin, to Robin, the Riddler and two face uh, Batman forever. Yeah. So, so that movie didn't work. <laughs> And the animated series had already been out. And I said, this just kills me because they did a two-part origin of, of Two-Face story in animated series. So 40 minutes. And it was a pretty good version of that story. They did a two-part origin of Robin story. And they did a one-part origin of the Riddler story. So... Now we're talking an hour and 40 minutes of material, and they completely told those stories. You flesh it out for another, you know, for another 20 minutes for a live action movie, or maybe another 30 minutes to make it over two hour movie or whatever with those writers. And it would give you the depth, I think, that that, you know, that you're looking for in a live action movie. And those stories would have worked and they would have been coherent and they would have told complete stories of those three characters introductions and somebody at the at that comic-con asked paul dini they said you you guys just seem to 
understand these characters. Why don't they hire you guys to write the live action movies or direct the live action movies? And his response was just amazing. He said, well, because Warner Brothers doesn't take their animation division seriously. So we can basically just kind of do whatever we want as long as we don't lose money. Whereas for me to direct a feature film, I would have to direct a smaller film for them that made a lot of money. And then they would give me, you know, uh, one of their tentpole movies. But that's never going to happen. So don't hold your breath. (laughs) I was just like, wow, that. Man, there's just corporate America for you. There's just corporate showbiz for you in a nutshell right there in that <laughs> little story. But that is the point that the execs didn't take the animation series. But this was one of the first shows in a long time where it's obvious that the animators took the characters yeah. serious. Yeah. And, and, it, and it struck the fan base. And, but, you know, his thing about how corporation, showbiz corporations work, I was just like, well, I get that, but boy, is that just a sad statement about, you know, creative expression on a corporate level. <laughs> <laughs> I also watched two movies this week. Uh, I watched one that was really, really good and one that was really, really disappointing. <laughs> uh, first, I'll start with the good one. Uh, based on a book that I read quite a few years back, and I brought it up on the show a couple hundred episodes ago, uh, a book <laughs> called Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. Uh, if you're not familiar with M.R. Carey, that's uh, also Mike Carey. He's a comic book writer uh, going way back. He's basically played in almost all the Marvel Marvel books, especially X-Men. He played a lot with uh, some X-Men for a while. Uh, he also writes novels. Uh, he has a uh, ongoing series with a uh, uh, exorcist character that he has. Uh, but he wrote a high award-winning novel called Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, it is a zombie apocalypse story. Wait, wait, don't run away. It's okay. It's, I know. Zombie, <laughs> zombies are played out. But this was one of the few books I've read on uh, zombie books that's really smart, both in how it's told and how the zombie story is set up. Uh, sure, there are some classic zombie stuff in there. The The group moving as a group trying to survive, of course, that's there. But what really makes this one interesting is the protagonist is a zombie. Hmm. Uh, The girl with all the gifts is a variation of the zombie. And it takes place late in the zombie apocalypse where the world is almost wiped out and the zombies are winning. Hmm. So, Hmm. So that kind of change is nice. And it has the variation of zombies that I like the most. And that is the cordyceps zombie. Uh, if you're not familiar with the cordyceps, that is an actual fungus that exists in our real life. It really only affects ants in uh, Brazil, in the rainforest. And the ant gets some of this fungus on them. It burrows into their brain and takes over and forces the ant to walk up to the top of its tallest tree that it can get to. And then it makes it clamp its mandibles onto the tree itself and basically stay there and die uh, while the fungus pops out of the top of its head and branches out so it can spore and continue the process. So the cordyceps zombie is basically this existing fungus creature, except it affects humans as well. Of all the zombies out there, 
it's the most fascinating one. It was also used in The Last of Us, the video game series. So they made a movie based on this book. It's a uh, it's sponsored by the British Film Institute. Uh, so it is a, a British book and a British movie through and through. And you know you're getting into some quality shit because it stars Glenn Close. Oh. Glenn Close huh. in a zombie movie is not something I thought I would have seen in my lifetime, but there it is. <laughs> uh, it is on HBO Max right now if you want to watch it. Uh, I'm not sure where else you can see it, but I'm sure there's other options. But if you're looking for a zombie movie and they haven't played themselves out for you, but one that is really smart with some neat ideas and with a different style of protagonist, check it out. There is a beautiful innocence to it while still being extremely visceral. Uh, It's not overly gross, uh, but it is violent. It's a zombie film. Uh, and, and I also highly recommend the book. Uh, if you don't want to read, uh, watch the movie uh, and you haven't really explored any zombie fiction, read The Girl with All the Gifts. It is a wonderful way of how they introduce the character and introduce the world just unveils itself and the world building is exquisite in that book. So uh, he wrote one other book uh, in that uh, that series, so to speak, called The Boy on the Bridge, which I have not read, but it is a prequel to that uh, first book. Hmm. Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, if you like zombie stuff, check it out. Don't miss it, actually. Uh, find it. Uh, the other movie I saw is a Japanese movie based on a manga. Homunculus is the name. Uh, it is a Netflix bought it, so it is a Netflix joint. It is in Japanese, so if uh, you don't like closed captioning, you know... Well, actually, I'm just going to say skip it overall. That's that's how I feel about this. It starts oh, wow. off with a, a really, really neat premise and just shits on it halfway through and then just becomes a rushed, scattered mess. Uh, the idea behind Homunculus is, is fantastic. Uh, a mad doctor hires this unemployed homeless dude, says, I will give you... Uh, 700,000 yen if you'll let me drill a hole in your head so I can unleash your uh, sixth sense properties. You know, those, that kind of stuff doesn't really hit me all that much. That didn't catch me in. Uh, what brought me in is that once he does this operation, when he sees people, he see, they call it in the show the homunculus, but that's not what it is. What it is is he can see their, tra- their inner traumas playing out in their body. Uh, physically. Uh, for example, a, a large man walks by him, but when he walks by him, he becomes two-dimensional, and, so be, and because that guy sees himself as being insubstantial, for example. It starts off with this guy looking through his sixth sense eye and seeing these people <laughs> and starting to solve their inner traumas that he can read off of them from how they look, how they physically present themselves as monsters of sorts. It starts off really good. The first one's really neat. In fact, I'm like, man, I could watch a whole TV series of this, of this guy as kind of the psychic detective who sees these people as monsters and solving their inner psychological problems. But then the second scene gets weird and rapey. And then the third scene 
uh, is the final scene, which goes into this guy's past and why he was chosen for this whole thing. And it just goes off the rails. And from the moment that thing, I, I don't know why they made that, those choices in the second part of the, the film when it gets just awful sexual assaulty. It's gross, and it, it ruins everything going forward. And when I was watching it, and it, at the end just feels rushed. Like it's, it's trying to hit all these plot points real fast. So you're like, oh, whoa, slow down. It's coming fast. Oh, who's history? Who died? What's this? Who's, who was this girlfriend? Not the girlfriend that you didn't even introduce at the beginning. Who's this now? And then at the end, I was like, man, they must have just rushed it to just tell the manga story. But apparently they didn't do that either because the people who enjoy the manga, like they changed everything about this story in the second half. I'm like, so I have no idea why this movie exists in the way that it does. I haven't read the manga. I don't know anything about it. Uh, the neat concept pulled me in, and then the broken storytelling threw me out. So it sounds like, once again, read the comic, skip the adaption. I don't know. Uh, I can't even recommend the comic based on this, frankly. It's, it's, it's something I'm like, I'll bet this is going to be good, and boy, I was proven wrong. Well, you said fans of the manga, though, were saying that it's nothing like that. So, Right. Would you uh, but say check out the... I'm not going to say check it out because I haven't read the manga. I'm not going to tell you to read something I don't know of. Okay. From what I gathered from the people that read the manga, that the character is not a likable person anyway, but obviously there was something compelling in this, the comic to make them read through it, but... The character is somewhat likable until, until awful sex scene happens, and then you're like, then they're like, "Fuck this guy! Fuck everything in this." Uh, so, the girl with all the gifts, yes, uh, homunculus, no. Andy, what'd you do this week? Uh, first of all, I want then Kirsten. Uh, uh, it, uh, it's what geeky things we do. Not how did my cat scare me? And I bought a bed. What the fuck? oh these are your notes notes from last week is that what this is the only note i well well two weeks because he went back and hit the bed again the second week again not geeky but yeah but i'm glad you're it's it's a it's a bed in a box which is a i think is a rather geeky thing to do actually as opposed to you know like a, a mattress store or something like that you just get a bed in a box that was kind of weird. I was, so, I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor in a uh, Airbnb, so I, I, I was might have been might have been more sensitive about the issue, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think so actually because you, I mean, you know, a bear B and B, so like you were you were bear. <laughs> Is it like a nudist B and B? Oh, you know, it's like bears and otters. You know, it's a right. Oh, oh, we did otter. We did otter in the ocean. A bunch of us were floating in the water ottering. Andy, Andy, this is what geeky things you did this week. Not about otters. <laughs> yeah, this, this so is anyway. not zoology shock. Yeah, yeah, Andy. <laughs> not bestiality so- shock. Oh, shit. <laughs> that turned so anyways, really fast. Yeah, it did. So anyways, uh, I did not watch Paddington 2 yet, but I will get to it. Uh, I did watch Army of the Dead uh, with my brain off, which is the only way to enjoy it. Jeff, you might want to. The only reason to push through it at this point is so you can watch the uh, the uh, pitch meeting for it, which just that that pitch meeting combined with uh, Todd's 
mentioning that every time a character appears, you know how and when they're going to die was dead on accurate. Uh, uh, actually, I did watch the pitch meeting after I struggled to get through the half hour of uh, uh, Army of the Dead. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break. And I went on YouTube and I saw that they had the new pitch meeting. I'm like, ah, fuck it. At this point, I don't even care about spoilers. So I went ahead and watched it. So I mentioned Earth Girls Are Easy on the last episode I was on existing, but I actually rewatched it. And uh, it's not a it's not. It's not a great film. It's not a great film, but it's definitely a cultural icon. It's definitely worth watching because it is bizarre and you do get to see you know jim curry jim jim curry jim carrey and uh um is it damon wayans shit yeah damon wayans. The wayans yeah yeah and uh um gina davis is uh smoking so uh but it's basically an excuse to do music videos for julie brown which was fine <laughs> i like that kind of stuff but yeah it's it's not great uh writing I like how you left Jeff Goldblum out of that whole thing on Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> well, well, actually, I mean, I got to say there, they Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis are married when they made this movie. They have uh, several love scenes that really feel smoking. They, they definitely look like they're in love in this movie. Uh, I saw the Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story documentary. Oh. Oh. Which is uh, really well done. Uh, and of course, in the last bit of it, they go into the uh, the problems with John Kay. But he is in the he is in the movie. I mean, he's being interviewed in the movie. He's all throughout it. They're talking to him, and so it's really weird when they get to the dark shit, and and uh, you, you see him saying, "I, I that was I shouldn't have done that shit." But uh, yeah, I mean, near the end, they cut to a still photo of him and the the primary lady in question, the uh, the teenage intern that he took under his wing and and more than under his wing and she is disturbingly young looking and he's disturbingly old looking in the picture it's just ah, so but i would recommend it it is it is a very interesting documentary and where do we find that i don't know i was in somebody else's airbnb watching and probably on netflix i don't know i'll look it up but the important thing is i uh i finally finished reading cyclops road (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah you're right that it's uh i i can totally see me there the, the character uh definitely yes. reacts in a way i would imagine myself reacting and uh i'm 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 uh i'm complimented and honored and uh you are very right and uh <laughs> and uh, i would i would if if charise is ready for it i'm ready i'm i, I could do that film i'm i, I could I wouldn't have to act. It has to be me. Perfect <laughs> casting. Yeah. No, I love that. <laughs> you and Theron. Yeah. Cyclops Road by Jeff And Strain. actually, it doesn't have to be Theron. It could be somebody younger because she might be a little older for the part now. She's supposed to be like 22, 23 in the thing. So, Good point. I mean, well, Matt, Andy did say Cherise Theron. I mean, that's her <laughs> younger sister, right? <laughs> <laughs> I probably did. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation. That was good. I started reading that book on the flight out to Miami over a year ago <laughs> and reread it on the flight back from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Finished reading it then. That is so Andy. Yeah. That is <laughs> like a that is like a, a, a meta Andy thing. Yeah. All right. So here are your choices for a twenty two year old uh, uh why do you have this at the ready? 
<laughs> Why do you look think? It up? Why because do you it's think? Professor Biggs. Yes. He has, a, he has we, an entire... If we get a picture of Andy with one of these actresses, she will look disturbingly young, and he will look disturbingly old. It will be very creepy. It's not a romantic relationship. That's that's. Um, and yes, you know, Professor Biggs has a has a Google Doc sitting right there saying future ex-wives to be twenty-two on his spreadsheet in the twenty-two column. <laughs> Cross-reference with blonde. <laughs> Stop giving away my secrets. <laughs> so, you got your uh, Lily Rose Depp. You got your. Really, we're doing this. You got your Zendaya. Oh. Uh, <laughs> have you read? Have you read the book, uh, Steve? No, I have not. These God damn two, it! These are too dark and these are too dark and gothy for the role. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Even Lily Rose Depp. Yeah. She's right. gothy. All right. All right. By the way, Andy, are you okay? You're 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 doing your looking like a pirate thing again. Oh uh, no, I'm tr- I'm trying to read where Happy Happy Joy Joy is available as I talk to you guys. Uh, it's, I believe it's only available to rent online, Andy. It's not available it for, on any free streaming yeah. service. It is. It is. Wow. Exactly. So you like you like just called that up and and like your Airbnb people have to pay for that? No, no. I, I was staying with other people and somebody paid for it. Obviously, yes. I, in fact, I know paid for it. He was really excited. We had to see it. And I'm like, all right, we'll see it. Uh, Sabrina Carpenter. Oh Jesus. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Kirsten, what'd you do this week? Earlier this week, I posted a Facebook uh, qu- quote of something because I was just I was just buzzing around the internet and I googled science fantasy, sort of that weird zone between science fiction and fantasy. I tend to I tend to think of science fantasy as like Thundar is post way post apocalyptic, right? But it's uh, I would call science fantasy because their fantasy elements sometimes explained through pseudoscience and sometimes it's just, you know, outright magical. I think one of the greatest science uh, fantasies ever written was Shadow of the Torturer by Gene Wolfe. But I was buzzing around. I wanted to see what people were saying. And I stumbled across this uh, one woman's uh, uh, review column. And that's where I posted the quote. My major stumbling block in recommending this series is it's so violent. This book, in fact, may be the most violent thing I've ever read. And I was like, sold! <laughs> I'm going to buy this book and read it. And so I'm reading a book called Heroes Die by uh, somebody whose name I've forgotten. But it's really funny because reading it, I have to say, that woman needs to get out more. Oh, really? It's violent. It's violent. But any grim, dark fantasy, a lot of cyberpunk, definitely like horror novels will be as bad or worse. I I went into it thinking, okay, we're going to get Joe Abercrombie on a really angry day. And no, it was just like Joe Abercrombie. (laughs) 
So, so, in, so instead, you got Matthew Stover on a regular day. There you go. Thank you, Matthew Stover. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, and it's not bad. It is weird because it starts off as cyberpunkish, and you're sitting there. Where is the fantasy? And it takes a while to get in there. Basically, you have the cyberpunk element, which is life. The world is highly stratified. Everyone's in different casts. Actors are entertainers, which is in the professional cast, which is sort of in the mid zone above workers, above cyborg worker. What's the matter, Andy? Well, no, I've got several things come ahead, but when you said actors of the middle cast, I went right to uh, my favorite year. It's like, I think Alan Swan is beneath this. Well, of course he's beneath this. He's an actor. Yeah. Okay, well, it, it's, it's funny because this is, this is the, there is a, a zone for the A-list celebrities, which um, are nowadays, they're kind of, they're kind of in the, they're kind of in the 1%. The, the entertainers, you can do a sort of um, you can sort of participate in whatever they're experiencing um, through through like a cyberpunk uh, cyberpunk cyberpunk neural like connection. Cyberpunk. Yeah, you can then sit in your own little virtual reality chair and inhabit their body while they're going through the show they're going through. The fantasy comes in that they discover an extra dimensional world where magic works. They can do a dimensional phase, send the entertainer into the magical world who can then interact with it. And people back on Earth can experience their show. Right. So you can be, you can, you can not just watch the life of this great swordsman fighting, you know, sorcerers and stuff, but you actually are in the swordsman's body, experiencing everything. Like you, he, you get stabbed in the gut. You're going to feel that. You're going to feel everything. And then it starts revealing how Earth is manipulating things in this fantasy world. They're like preventing stability. They're keeping nations at war with each other so that their actors can, can phase in and participate in the chaos, participate in the violence. Where I'm at in the story, it seems like somebody or somebody's, maybe multiple actors, are slowly trying to upset the apple cart and help bring stability to the world. The studio system back on Earth is trying to oppose them to keep them from doing that. And there's this one guy who's the star, the biggest star in all of these spectacles, and he's caught in the middle. It's kind of interesting. It was a weird transition. It took a while to get where it was going. You, and it was funny. I'm sitting here reading this thinking Todd would hate this because oh, really? Todd, well, for the first, uh, where the hell am I? Maybe a quarter of the way through for the first fifth of the whoa, whoa, story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a quarter of the way through and all this shit is happening. Yes. Where's it going to go? Yeah. But 
the for the first fifth or so, the cyberpunk part, they don't explain the overworld or anything. It is like all hinted at and played at and nothing is explained. So you don't understand how is this happening? How does this work? What is going on? They eventually do. It eventually gets into it. But it takes a while. And I was like, I don't know if this would pass Todd's 100-page test. Because uh, so. <laughs> what you described sounds amazing to me. I, I'm, this, this sounds yes. great. I think it's an early novel for this guy. It's, it's from the 90s. You know, you can see some. It's rough. It's got rough edges and stuff. But it is an interesting concept. But, yeah, it takes a while to get into it. So. I'm um, enjoying things uh, where I'm at. The protagonist is now in the fantasy world doing what he's supposed to be doing. And it's getting interesting, but took a while to get there. And so, you know, is, uh, is the protagonist played by James Caan and, uh, he has to deal with John Hausman a couple of times. Wow. I'm not even sure where you're going with that, Steve. <laughs> a roller ball uh, it, it, yeah, it was a rollerball reference. Well, I know it's a rollerball reference, but I'm trying. Actually, what I will say, Steve, the guy, the protagonist is not quite Jonathan E. But you are right. There is that entertainer. I don't know what you want to call Not Plutarch. But an oligarch, uh, they call them upcasts, you know, the upper mm. castes. And there's this business corporate dude. There is a tension there because the entertainer is behind this corporate guy's success. But the corporate guy holds the entertainer by the short hairs and never lets him forget it. Right. So you do have a point there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I'll let you know how it goes if I finish it. Please I'm going to try to finish. I've also been watching a lot of Dark Corners on YouTube. Dark Corners is a nice YouTube channel where the, oh. this guy talks about horror. He'll focus on some schlock. He'll focus on some bad horror. But he also focuses on unappreciated stuff. He does lots of Hammer Horror commentaries. He's got a whole series of videos on the Hammer Horror Frankensteins and then the Hammer Horror Draculas. And then he's got two videos on Christopher Lee doing Dracula, you know, and he'll do that. And he did a, I, the, what got me rolling this week is a friend of mine sent me a link to a direct comparison between the, the two Draculas that were filmed in, in the 30s. The Bela Lugosi Dracula and then the Spanish Dracula. Yeah. And this guy, this guy, they research really well. He gets into it earlobe deep and he gives you a lot of information. And they do a lovely job of putting side by sides and, and referencing material. So he's not just yakking. I saw that and thought of you, Todd. And for at, at first, I thought you were the one who introduced me to Dark Corners. But when you said no, I realized it was another friend, and I was just like, dude, you've got you to watch this YouTube channel. Because he does a nice job. He, he has this whole run on Bela Lugosi. He talks about Bela Lugosi's life, and he talks about Dracula, his, you know, his rise and fall. 
Um, he actually does a shitload of Bela Lugosi reviews. He like reviews all sorts of Bela Lugosi movies that people nowadays wouldn't appreciate, wouldn't even give it the time of day to, which it, it's really nice that he does that. I actually was really enjoying that. Just today I was, I was watching some of the uh, uh, Hammer Horror stuff. And um, and he goes through in a lot of detail on the Hammer Horror Studios. Gives you a real appreciation for it, too. As I get one point, it, it doesn't matter who. Uh, he's, he's a small character. But I see one character in one scene in one of the ha Hammer Horror Frankensteins. And just for a brief moment, he looks like Michael Sheen. And I'm sitting there suddenly watching this documentary. I'm like, oh, it'd be so cool to make a make a homage to Hammer Horror Studios with Michael Sheen and David Tennant. And then I start <laughs> thinking of David Tennant as a, as a Christopher Lee-type Dracula vampire and Michael Sheen trying to, trying to be his Peter Cushing and stuff. But the videos are sort of like that. They give you a real appreciation, and you really come out of it really appreciating Hammer Horror for what it did in the brief time that it was able to do it. I didn't even realize, or maybe I'd forgotten, I'm getting to that point, Christopher Lee's Dracula, actually, I think it might have been the Frankenstein. It was the Cushing Lee Frankenstein, the first Frankenstein horror, Hammer Horror did. Universal distributed them. And that movie saved Universal Pictures from bankruptcy way back in the late 50s, early 60s. <laughs> so... It was uh, it was kind of interesting to to listen to that whole history. Was so if it, you get a oh what hmm? was it Universal or Warner Brothers? Oh, I'm sorry. Wow, look who knows more than me. Uh, Steve's right. It is. It's Warner Brothers. School and Warner the Professor. <laughs> yeah, Warner Brothers was going down, and uh, it actually saved them. They would have weird moments like one review I was reading. Uh, I'm mean, I'm sorry, watching. The Devil Rides Out. It's, a, it's an actual book, and it's about Satanism. And it's Christopher Lee in a heroic row. He's a, he's a good guy. Heroic row? And, and, um, yeah, he's, a, he's a fish egg. It's a very yeah. challenging role. At some point, midway through the filming of the series, Hammer actually like sends some information, asks for a little more money from uh, the distributor, the American distributor who's financing them, Warner Brothers. And the response came back, this seems like an awful lot of money for a Western. Because apparently there's a very popular American Western, The Devil Rides Out. And they thought they were doing a remake of that. But the, the movie itself is actually incredible, and their review of it works is, is very well done. The whole thing, Dark Corners, is, is pretty amazing. It's, it's some very good exploration of uh, film horror, of, of stuff that's, that is not appreciated. And um, I think it's uh, for those people who would, who would like that sort of thing, like Jake and Jamie, you, uh, you actually might appreciate Dark Corners. And then finally, I got a PC, which, uh, yeah. fuck you, Andy, that's about as sneaky a thing as anyone can be. No, no, that's, that's, you've been fine this show. It's, it's yeah. without, my, oh, oh, without, without my guidance. 
without me there to say, why the fuck is this geeky? You can just let him roll. You just let him roll oh, on the cat right. here yeah. and the mattress yeah. bullshit. That's what, true. What, That's what, true. Because if Andy, if Andy had said anything, I just would have stopped cold and not said a word. He would have the brakes on. Kirsten, did it come in a box? Yeah, it did. Okay. It did. I even opened it properly. I like opened the bottom and then gently lifted the box off because the dang thing is heavy and it has tempered glass and I have to be careful at the peel off. Your mattress tempered glass? What kind of mattress is this? Yeah, boy. Andy's getting older and older right before our eyes. <laughs> when you uh, when you peel the oh, the um, protective thing <laughs> off of the your tempered glass, make sure you're recording it so you got a good fail video to send. Yeah, me. really. <laughs> it's funny because now I think they're getting better because this was actually a cling film. It was very clingy, but it wasn't that kind of. Um, that kind of plastic that really sticks hard. So you just get the tab and it actually comes off real easy. Are you okay, Andy? You look like you're pissing yourself. I just, I, I, you know, you said cling film. And I'm like, what the hell is a cling film? I understand Westerns. I understand horror movies. What the fuck is a cling film? Cling film. It's a cling on porn. Yeah. Uh... It's shot on location and cling. <laughs> I'm trying not to disrupt you, Kirsten. I really am at this point. I, that's gotten to the giggles, so I'm sorry. I, that's, that's why my expression is that way. The Geek Shock Book Club is reading The Mirage, a novel by Matt Ruff. Uh, here's the description from the book. 11-9-2001. Christian fundamentalists hijack four jetliners. They fly two into the Tigris and Euphrates World Trade Towers in Baghdad and a third into the Arab Defense Ministry in Ridia. The fourth plane, believed to be bound for Mecca, yeah. is brought down by its passengers. The United Arab States declares a war on terror. Arabian and Persian troops invade eastern seaboard and establish a green zone in Washington, D.C. Summer 2009, Arab Homeland Security agent Mustafa al-Baghdadi interrogates a captured suicide bomber. The prisoner claims that the world they are living in is a mirage. In the real world, America is a superpower, and the Arab states are just a collection of backward third-world countries, unquote. A search of the bomber's apartment turns up a copy of the New York Times dated September 12, 2001, that appears to support his claim. Other captured terrorists have been telling the same story. The president wants answers, but Mustafa soon discovers he's not the only interested party. The gangster Saddam Hussein is conducting his own investigation. And the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, a war hero named Osama bin Laden, will stop at nothing to hide the truth. As Mustafa and his colleagues venture deeper into the unsettling world of terrorism, politics, and espionage, they're confronted with questions without any rational answers and the terrifying possibility that their world is not what it seems. Damn! Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, it's it's fascinating. And, and a page-turner, too. Just, I mean, it works as a you know, again, as a, a suspense novel and, you know, all the alternate history stuff is just, it's, it's, it's fun to the point where I was like, man, I wish I knew a little bit more about, you know, Middle East history and uh, Middle East politics and that kind of stuff, because 
you, you do recognize a few names and it's like, oh, is that how that's spelled? You know, like, <laughs> for instance, Riyadh. That's what I said. Riyadh. <laughs> Not Ridia. I, 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 I was actually expecting that. I was Ridia, actually expecting oh, Ridia, that encyclopedia. <laughs> Ridia, the tattooed Arabian. <laughs> but, but yeah, the United Arab Arab states encompasses like Morocco and Egypt and Tunisia and, and uh, Libya. Uh, I think it's funny that uh, Gaddafi exists in this, and he he actually has the role in this book of pick like a crazy U.S. governor, and that's kind of his role in in this story. Where it's just like, God, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with Gaddafi again. <laughs> it's like, what is he doing this time? You know, it's just Ruff does a real great job of having of creating these sort of parallel characters. You know that you would that you would see in a in an American war on terror movie, but in this case, they're all Muslims. You know, they're from Iraq and Iran and all that type of thing, and it's. Just fascinating. <laughs> so the, the book is called The Mirage, a novel. It's by Matt Ruff. Discussions will open on the 8th on the Geek Shock Book Club Facebook page. And it is time to do some news you don't give a shit about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hurt me more. <laughs> so wrong. Paddington 2 has been ousted as Rotten Tomatoes' best-ranked movie ever. I can't watch all these movies, guys. I'm going to stick with Paddington 2. That's how I promise. The 2017 movie, uh, in which a marmalade-eating bear tries to get a gift for his aunt's 100th birthday, has only had its top status since April, when an unearthed negative view of Citizen Kane knocked the Orson Welles film out of the top spot. A fate... A fate which also, frankly, befell the bear. Uh, Paddington 2's negative review is a recent one by Eddie Harrison at Film Authority, who grew up with Michael Bond's Paddington stories and didn't think the movie did his childhood memories justice. Even though 245 other reviews on Rotten Tomatoes differ from Harrison's opinion, his stance on the film was enough to kick Paddington 2 out of the top spot, uh, most likely his intention since his review of the 2017 movie went up like two days ago, <laughs> which all continues to show that Rotten Tomatoes is a stupid bellwether. Yes. You know what? I, I don't care. I don't care who has the top of Rotten Tomatoes. Immaterial. But if I did care, allowing harrison to put his review for a movie that came out four years ago now <coughs> as a professional reviewer i don't think should be allowed i i think if you're going to do this whole professional review things and have them actually right you used as a aggregate to rank up films that there has to be a window that the reviewer has to be in that time frame of when that movie came out within like a certain amount of time release after dvd Perhaps to allow those in there as well. Perhaps maybe we should just stop taking Rotten Tomato reviews terribly seriously. That was my first point. I've already gotten past that. But if I did care, and if that was a thing, that's what I'm saying. Go, just to reiterate that once again. <laughs> like the review I, for. Go ahead, Kirsten. I was just going to say, 
you know, we just we might not want to take Rotten Tomatoes views very seriously. But isn't it? It's it's but it's basically just a review aggregator. It's not Rotten Tomatoes that's putting the reviews out there. It's taking all these other reviews and then assigning a point value based on that. So it's easily manipulated is the best way to put it. And that's the problem. It, yeah. So like I, so, I, I go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so with, with that in mind, should we stop taking Rotten Tomatoes uh, ranking God. seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Motherfuckers. <laughs> the Citizen Kane thing is, God damn it, all of you. The Citizen Kane thing <laughs> makes sense because it's unearthed review from that time period when it came out. That should be allowed. But for... A, a dude that's for the intended purpose of knocking something out of a ranking, allowing him to put a review in there it, that, that just goddamn shouldn't be allowed. But either way, yes, <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> fuck <you all. laughs> Weekend geek. Yay! <laughs> Damn, you really got the giggles today, Andy. I do, I do. As soon as you hammer home, yes, I said that earlier. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. <laughs> Damn it. In season two of The Boys... Homelander took his son to the hero-themed restaurant Planet Vought. Amazon Studios announced that they're unveiling a huge, free, The Boys-themed three-day pop-up at the Hollywood Palladium in Los Angeles. It's being billed as a, quote, one-of-a-kind immersive drive through restaurant celebrating Planet Vought's, that's the super knockoff of Planet Hollywood's restaurant, superhero theme, uh, grand opening event. Each carload will get an exclusive 40-minute experience with themed food and a drive-through environment with characters, visuals, and elements from the boys' universe. Quote, We here at the boys are thrilled to launch our latest cash grab. I mean, brand <laughs> extension. Uh, Planet Vought Hollywood, said showrunner Eric Kripke in a tonally spot-on press release statement. Continuing... Guests will experience the thrills of being a real superhero all while consuming 2,000 calories or more. Okay, not really, but still, this experience is so cool and will immerse viewers and, frankly, Emmy voters into the humor and intrigue of the show's world. And keep an eye out, Butcher and the boys might swing by, unquote. So, if you live in the Los Angeles area... Hint, 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 Steve. <laughs> Why not check out this free The Boys-themed three-day pop-up restaurant at the Hollywood Palladium in Los Angeles? Yeah. If only it were close. <laughs> I actually want to check that out. That sounds fun. Yeah. It might be yeah. worth the drive. It might be. Yeah. I've been wanting to take a road trip, so... Me too. Who knows? Buddy, I imagine the, uh, the drive-through line will be massive. Yeah. Probably. And the Palladium... 
if my recollection of that joint is accurate, getting in and out of it is going to be a little bit of a trial. <laughs> well, at least you don't have to park, right? Right. That's true. <laughs> oh, boy. That would just, ugh. especially that area. Well, the parking is not ample there? It is not only not ample, it is non-existent. <laughs> Aaron Taylor Johnson of Kick-Ass and Avengers Age of Ultron fame will star as the eponymous Sergei Kravenoff in Craven the Hunter film for Sony Pictures. The live-action film based on the Spider-Man villain now has a release date, January 13th, 2023. Uh, J.C. Chander, that's who did The Most Violent Year and Triple Frontier, is attached to direct a script written by Equalizer scribe Richard Wenk, along with Iron Man and Morbius screenwriters Art Markham and Matt Holloway. Created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, Sergei Kravenoff first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 15 in 1964. The character, a big game hunter who took an herbal potion that enhanced his strength and speed, was part of Spider-Man's rogues gallery and half-brother to the chameleon. He also was part of the original Sinister Six. In J.M. Mate- uh, DeMatteis and Mike Zeck's 1987 storyline, Craven's Last Hunt, the villain killed, quote-unquote, Spider-Man, but not really, put him in a drug-induced coma for two weeks, buried him alive, then posed as the web-slinger to destroy his reputation, before killing himself. Uh, Wank has admitted that this six-issue story arc served as a key source of inspiration for him in the script. Uh, Craven the Hunter is part of Sony's budding universe of Spider-Man villains that includes Venom and Morbius, but since it's unlikely the film will feature Spider-Man, who will Craven be hunting? Mm. It's just such a weird fucking choice. It is. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures right now going... Seems awful young for that role. Well, that and I always had a hard time with a big game hunter who wore ballet slippers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just, I never, I mean, it's Steve Ditko, but boy, I mean, that's even too, too Ditko for Ditko. Mm. You know, it it was, that costume was just bizarre. And I wonder if he meant for him to be barefoot and then pulled back on it because it was too hard to draw the toes over and over. Maybe he was anticipating Liefeld, you know, taking a <laughs> shot at Kravenoff someday. <laughs> so my first experience with Craven the killer was as part of the uh, Aurora Amazing Spider-Man model where he's like the downed villain uh, on the floor. That ha- I mean, he's basically got any detail at all, but he's... You know, Spider-Man's up on a, a stair banister with his spider web hanging off, and he's just, like, on the floor. And, he, and I don't even believe you have to build him at all. I believe he's just part of the floor unit. <laughs> so, yeah. I, so it's just, all you got to do is paint him. But he's, like, barely three-dimensional. It really is. It's just such a weird fucking choice. Morbius is... Is awesome, actually, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, and Leto as Morbius. Hey! And Venom, of course. Well, you know Venom. Venom's going to happen. But Craven, even even if you're building up to a Sinister Six movie, I don't... I, uh, okay. There have been other six for the fourth century of six. You don't have to have Craven. <laughs> yeah. You know, or you you have Craven come in later. I don't know. 
Because because Morbius is not one of the Sinister Six, so he's not part of that, right? I don't know. It's just really fucking weird. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll all go out and watch it and then come home either confused or totally gobsmacked. I've been I, not. I, have, I haven't watched a lot of these, these Spider-Man. I haven't seen any of the Venom stuff. Well, There's only tonight. one. Right, that's true. But that's before before the big change. Yeah. I just have a hunch. Sony's just trying to mine whatever IP they've got for anything. And it's like, well, all right. Well, they used the vulture in that one that we had to co-produce with Marvel. What other standalone characters do we actually have the rights to? Craven? Sure, write it up. <laughs> are, are they mining? Are they intentionally mining the IP of people with of, of characters with dead creators? There's Spider-Man canon. That's yeah. No, I'm yeah. just saying. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. There's so many other characters that we do, and I guess because he's an old established character. But you know, Christ, Arcade is a more interesting character. <laughs> well, we just don't know what IP they're allowed to have. Is Arcade part of their? their lineup or is that something that marvel still has a hold of we don't know what sony has arcade eventually became a significant villain well significant became a villain a recurring villain in the x universe so it'd be interesting to see if uh if there's a tension between x-men versus spider-man and who what and whatever yeah They've already used Dr. Octopus. They've already used Sandman. They've already used oh. the Green Goblin. They've already used uh, Electro. Rhino. Yeah, and the Rhino. And I mean, I guess they can't use the Ping Ping because uh, because he's he was used in Daredevil. <laughs> the Ping Ping? <laughs> that was a running joke for our show. I oh. guess the guy... The guy that played the kingpin, he was talking to the director and he was drunk and apparently was like, was like, so what kind of voice do you want me to use for the ping ping? And that just became a, a whole thing to the point where they, where they would try to, they would try to slip ping ping into the reading and see if anyone noticed. Yeah. You, you needed to bring in Paul for that. I can hear him playing the ping ping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. But anyway, so. You know, so and then and then the Marvels already used Mysterio and and the Vulture, so Craven's left. Yeah, <laughs> the Craven's the one that's left. Spider Verse used the Prowler, which which I think actually could be an interesting if it, it uh, you know shades of Jeff here if it's done well. The Prowler could actually be an interesting standalone villain movie. Because of the, the origins and, you know, the story behind the Prowler. Uh, but Spider-Verse uses it, so. There's all those weird uh, uh, pseudo-mafia characters, too. Those organized crime characters yeah. that are basically Dick Tracy villains. You know what, Andy? I would venture. I, granted, uh, Jigsaw became a, a Punisher villain. But I, I wonder how many of those they're holding in reserve for, like, the Punisher because mm-hmm. that's a that's a very good fit but yeah you got what the fuck is it hammerhead, hammerhead. tombstone is tombstone spider-man or is tombstone punisher or is he daredevil you you tend to you tend to get mixed up right now tombstone um, is kurt russell 
<laughs> wow. Which Jeff jumps which, in with an Andy impression. Right. <laughs> which, which Wyatt, Russell, Wyatt Russell refuses to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but see, Kirsten, I didn't follow it up with hysterical laughter. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because you're not as funny as me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. The has no, been I, dropped. No, I, I don't mean, I don't oh, mean boy. funny we hilarious. I mean sinners. funny like that boy's funny in the head. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for one of you to go shut your fucking mouth at this point. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Arcade was introduced in Marvel Team-Up, which is a very Spider-Man-centric book. Marvel Team-Up? I love that book. Yeah. I, 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 have a, I have a lot of those issues. That could be a fun, like, TV series, you know? Where you get, like, two or three episode arcs mm -hmm. where Spider-Man's with another superhero. Yeah, I really love the, uh, the Team-Up arc where Spider-Man was time-traveling. Yeah. Which basically gave them an excuse to have him team up with characters that weren't in the current Marvel Universe. So he teamed up with, like, the Two-Gun Kid and, and, uh, and uh, I think he did War of the Worlds, too. I think he went to... Yeah, he uh, Kill Raven, Kill Raven, War of yeah. the Worlds, Deathlock, back when Deathlock was a Marvel um, dystopic future series. As well as going back in time. Um, right, uh, there's your crucible, Stephen. He actually uh, went up against um, Cotton Mather. Uh, Cotton Mather. Yeah, <laughs> Vision and Scarlet Witch showed up for that one. Scarlet Witch, of course, being a natural for you know the witch trials. I still want him to do something with the What the series because that used to crack <laughs> me up when I was when I was younger. I mean, I there were some that had me laughing so hard I could barely breathe. Back well, in the day. get the the Modoc people to do that one and uh, actually be funny. That'd be good. Put them on HBO. <laughs> there you go. Uh, remember for that short time, they were actually developing a damage incorporated as a TV show yes. Yes. for ABC. Damage and control. It, went, it went nowhere. Yeah. Damage control. That's it. Thank you. Damage control. But damage but for a incorporated moment, is Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, for a moment, that was going to be a TV show. That's uh, It's no what the, but I guess it's as close as we got. Right. The long-awaited sequel in the Evil Dead franchise, Evil Dead Rise, will make its way straight to HBO Max, skipping a cinema release. Huh. It will be produced by New Line Cinema, the studio that released the original film 40 years ago. Acclaimed horror director Sam Raimi, who created and directed the three movies that make up the original trilogy, will not be returning to direct. Instead, he'll join trilogy star Bruce Campbell behind the scenes as they'll both serve as producers on the project alongside Robert Tappert. The new movie will serve as a sequel to the original trilogy as it follows a pair of estranged sisters in the city whose reunion is interrupted by the rise of some flesh-possessing demons, forcing them into a battle for their very survival. Uh, the Mists' Alyssa Sutherland is set to star, along with Picnic at Hanging Rock's Lily Sullivan. Uh, Lee Cronin, who did The Hole in the Ground, will write and direct, having been chosen by both Raimi and Campbell. The movie will shoot on location in New Zealand. Uh, Sony attempted a revival in 2013 directed by Fede Alvarez with Raimi Campbell and Tabard producing. Uh, that was followed by three seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead on Stars. Which so, was actually very good, I thought. 
Ash versus Evil Dead is the sequel to the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. The, the, those that wanted more, not only did you get more, you got a lot more. You got a, a TV series worth of Ash, something we never should have gotten and did. I, uh, I, was, I was so impressed with how much we got because after the first season, I'm like, great, here's another thing that I'm absolutely adoring and it's going to get canceled. And then we got season two and I'm like, well, this isn't going to last past season two. And we got the third season. And then when it got canceled, I'm like, you know what? We had three good seasons of show. I can't ask for more. I don't have an issue with them doing new characters in Evil Dead. Uh, however, I'm not sure Evil Dead fans agree. I uh, think Mila Jovovich should be in <laughs> Evil Dead. It's, just, it's, a natural, it's a natural, you know, next step. Really. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't actually see that. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I have an I have an impression request for uh, for uh, for Jeff. Can you do Mila Jovovich uh, doing saying this is my boomstick? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Shut down. <laughs> That's for shock monkeys only. Andy is done. <laughs> <laughs> Boomstick multipass. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and Kirsten for the win. <laughs> Boomstick multipass. There's a, there's a title of the episode. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was writing it down. Uh, just like it, the, the more it sunk in, I'm like, that is just so goddamn ridiculous. It has to be the title of the episode. <laughs> You're just standing there proudly holding the shotgun. Boomstick multipass. <laughs> Boomstick. Holding it to the window. Ian Holm is like, yes, yes, boomstick. And he's trying to get her to put it down. And, and she's just like, boomstick, multipass. <laughs> Chicken. Portal is back in active development at Warner Brothers as a film. J.J. Uh, Abrams boarded the Portal project back in the winter of 2013. At the time, it was also reported that he would produce a big screen version of Half-Life. Uh, but that movie has stalled. Abrams and his production company, Bad Robot, signed a $500 million mega deal at Warner Brothers back in September of 2019. The Hollywood mogul is now developing many projects at the studio, including the new Superman movie and a TV series about the Shining's Overlook Hotel. So for those that are fans of Portal, uh, hope is alive and still in development. <laughs> That's interesting. I... I'm having trouble matching that as a movie. It's a great yeah. game, and and they're fools if they don't uh, if they don't tap. Uh, oh fuck, who plays him? Um, J.J. Simmons? No, what's his name? J.K. J.K. Simmons. They don't tap J.K. Simmons to do his Cave Johnson uh, voice. <laughs> I will still use that. I'll still link to the um, his lemon speech every now and then. when somebody posts the life gives you lemons bullshit. I will post right to the lemon speech. <laughs> Fantasy Life's manager. <laughs> I I just think as good as the game is, and as or I should say as fun as the game is, that the time to make a movie about it has long since passed. Because we yeah. haven't had 
Portal 2 came out, what, 10 years ago now? 11, maybe? Yeah, I think longer. Yeah, yeah there, exactly. So I, I just think the window is closed on that. It is a property I can't see out of its own medium. It, at its base, it's a puzzle game with an implied story. Exactly. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see the footage. I'd love to see all that video game stuff as a live action thing. I'd love to see the portal gun in action on the big screen. But I just can't imagine what you can do to make that a story. Well, they're still trying, and I got to give them points for that. Uh, speaking of points, let's do some red light, green light. Red light, green light, such a fun game to play. Doesn't matter what you say, they're gonna make this shit anyway. Yes. Ah. It's good to be back at the table, fellas. It's time for us to green light another TV show. I have four pitches here. But one or more of these may be fake, and you only get one green light. So the shows that you're dealing with this week are Colony 2, Fourth Realm, Unidentified with Demi Lovato, and Embers of War. I'll take the vampire one. Yeah, I figured you would. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, Steve. I was saving that for a good moment. (laughs) Never let others make fun of you, and you can make fun of yourself, right? That's right. (laughs) Beat him to the punch, kid. (laughs) So here's the first pitch. Seth Meyers and Mike Shoemaker's production company, along with Universal Productions, are producing Colony 2, a new animated series created and written by brothers Seth and Josh Meyers for Peacock. Colony 2 focuses on a team made up of the greatest earthly minds who travel to a distant planet to start humankind's first space colony, only to find out that other earthlings have gotten there first. The, quote, best and the brightest now have to contend with the fact they're officially second string. Colony 2 is Seth Meyers' first major project that follows over the deal he made with Universal. Uh, Josh Meyers is an actor, writer, and comedian who is a regular on Mad TV, That 70s Show, and Red Oaks. Seth Maker Schumeyer's production also produces AP Bio and The Amber Ruffin Show, both of which stream on Peacock. So that's what you got for Colony 2. Any thoughts? This is late night Seth Meyers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I I like the pedigree. I just wonder if this is going to end up being another Avenue 5. Mm. <laughs> yeah, something that had a lot of potential and just was grating just on Josh the nerves. It, so. so which of you has Peacock? Who, who here, here is... Uh, I have Peacock. I know Jeff has Peacock. Yep. Biggs has Peacock. So it's us three. The, have, it's free. I mean, I have the free Peacock. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, me too. Usually... So, just I have to wait a few seconds, and and if I if I give it a good shake, I won't have peacock. So. Mm. No. no. Otherwise, <laughs> I step out of the bathroom. You get that little spot. It's really embarrassing. It's called a Wembley. <laughs> Has anybody watched AP Bio on Peacock? No. No. Okay. I I tried. I tried to watch it, uh, but oh? the. 
but the main character was so unlikable. I, even though Patton Oswalt is in it, uh, I dislike that character so much that I just refuse to watch any more of it. Yeah. Who's the, uh, who's the actor? Uh, that, uh, plays the character, the unlikable character. Yeah. If I remember right, he was one of the guys on, uh, always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, but I can't remember which one. Cause I don't know any of their names. <laughs> right. All right. So that's what we got for colony two. Let's move on to fourth realm, which is being developed for Amazon based on the dystopian fiction trilogy by John 12 Hawks. Uh, Maya is a Harlequin a member of a secret group fighting the tabula, a secret society bent on control and stability through implementing widespread surveillance. The tabula call their plan the virtual panopticon. Harlequins are sworn to protect travelers like Gabriel. Travelers are able to traverse through realms by detaching from their bodies and can carry with them talismans. Chaos Godelario who was in Pirates of the Caribbean, that man tell no tales, is going to play Maya, the Harlequin who protects the Traveler, eventually falling in love with him. Aaron Taylor Johnson is Gabriel, the Traveler who must learn to travel through the realms to save his brother from the tabula. The first season follows Maya wielding her katana to protect and fight as she and Gabriel search for a pathfinder to train him to traverse the realms. Uh, Miles Miller and Al Goh, who did Shannara and Smallville, are showrunning. That is Fourth Realm. This is on top of his craven duties? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yes, movie and TV show, it's, uh, it, that, that's going to happen. Well, I guess he was Craven's, you know, a little more. The genre is not my cup of tea, so that's kind of where I'm it, coming at it from. It's it's funny there. I mean, there there are a bunch of elements there that actually sound compelling, but taken as a whole, I'm not thoroughly grabbed. If that makes any sense, bits and pieces are like oh, ooh, ah, mm, aha, and but all together, I'm like, ah. yeah, I hear you, Kay. It sounds a little bit like somebody grabbed a bunch of elements and put them on pieces of paper and shuffled them back and pulled them out. Well, yeah, I mean, at, at one point, dude, I was ready for uh, Todd to say this is this is one of the first things since uh, ha- Harlan Ellison passed away that that he gets that gets adapted because it's oh, rapidly it was... sounding like uh, repent, yeah. Harlan, and repent. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, then it isn't. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. It's just uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I got nothing to add. <laughs> Let's see how it pushes up against the next one. Peacock is developing Unidentified with Demi Lovato, a new unscripted event series that puts the music megastar and her friends uh, and their friends on the hunt for intelligent alien life. Spread across four installments that team the Grammy-nominated star with their sister Dallas and best friend Matthew, a skeptic who's game to see where the chase leads. Unidentified will unfold as a, quote, immersive docu You know what? You can just stop right there. What? What? <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I was done with the pitch two sentences in. Uh. <laughs> All I have to say is, nice try, Pat Spurl. Nice try. <laughs> but, no, but see, the funny thing is, it sounds like something that actually probably is in the works. It yeah. just sounds horrible. 
Okay, there's more, and, and, there's, and, there's more, there's more description. Immersive docu-follow exploration of Demi's quest told through their uniquely audacious and entertaining filter to help uncover truth about the UFO phenomena. While consulting with leading experts, Demi, Dallas, and Matthew will investigate recent eyewitness encounters, uncover secret government reports, and conduct tests at known UFO hotspots, says Peacock. Demi is a true believer, and during this courageous adventure, they hope to convince her friends, family, and their millions of followers that not only are there intelligent beings beyond Earth, but they're already here, unquote. Jeff, how can you say no to that? <laughs> how can I not say no to that? Uh, it's it sounds like every horrible unscripted series that I hate rolled up into one. It let me, literally does. Let me let me pull my old white guy card out here and somebody tell me who Demi Lovato is because I can't Google it because that's the rule. She's a she was a she is a pop star. She yeah, yeah. does a lot of pop much. music. What, what yeah. songs have she done that I might know? Uh, you know what? None. My favorite song from Demi Lovato is "Cool for the Summer." Can you sing a little of it? No. <laughs> it's it's I you know I could tell you a dozen songs if I looked it up, Andy, and you'd probably recognize them. But you would But I'm saying I'm saying you wouldn't you wouldn't know her from one other pop star. It's like it's a very I don't want to call it cookie cutter, but just the way pop music is, they sound so similar these days. And we're we're She's, giving her access to, to secret government <laughs> shit. Yeah, she's very she's very Selena Gomez. So, okay, I know who Selena Gomez is. I'm not that old and white. Oh, Steve, shots fired. She's very Ariana Grande. I know her exactly. too. Exactly. You know what? Ask your daughter, Andy. She might know. No, nothing, she probably doesn't. Nothing about this sounds even approaching good. <laughs> just and I mean, and, and it like, doesn't so even the, sound good on a. It's so bad, it's good level. It right, just sounds not, horrible. It's not train wreck good. It's just yeah. And at yeah. the end of the day, it sounds exactly like something that NBC oh, Universal would put out. Yeah, it it sounds like the kind of thing where Demi Lovato let it slip at some uh, uh, at some upfront or something like that that she was really interested in UFOs. And some exec was like, really? You are? Yeah, and I got this friend who's like completely skeptical about the whole thing. Ah, you think we could get him involved? Huh? Let's green light this baby immediately. It's like, why? Ugh. Ugh. And finally, Ugh. we have Embers of War, Stampede Ventures, and Whip are teaming up to produce a series adaptation of the first book in author Gareth Powell's epic sci-fi novel series, Embers of War. In the story, quote, the sentient warship Trouble Dog was built for violence, yet following a brutal war, she is disgusted by her role in genocide. Stripped of her weaponry and seeking to atone, she joins the House of Reclamation, an organized organization dedicated to rescuing ships in distress. When a civilian ship goes missing in a disputed system, Trouble Dog and her crew of loners, captained by Sal Constance, are sent on a rescue mission. 
A straightforward rescue turns into something far more dangerous as troubled dog Constance and child find themselves in the center of a conflict that could engulf the entire galaxy. If she is to save her crew, troubled dog is going to have to remember how to fight, unquote. The other books in the series include Fleet of Knives and Light of Impossible Stars. The book will be adapted as a TV series by Gary Graham with Breck Eisner, who is part of The Expanse, The Crazies, and The Last Witch Hunter, brought on to direct. The author of the book will also serve as co-executive producer. So there you have it. What do you think of Embers of War, about a sentient ship that used to fight and doesn't want to anymore but might have to? Honestly, this one I like. I, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's echoes of uh, Anne McCaffrey's uh, The Ship Who Sang, when the I started thinking about. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of it so far. I mean, Gary just, Graham? Yeah. The Gary Graham? Yeah. Probably. So the the, the, the uh, TV... Um, TV's Gary Graham, yeah. Uh, TV's uh, uh, Non-alienation. Yeah. I don't know if it's deep Gary Graham, but it could very well be. Oh well, he's a, he's a Gary Graham. <laughs> he's a Gary. Graham. <laughs> I I think the premise is fascinating. You know, a a, a sentient ship that is essentially experiencing PTSD and post combat, you know, regret about the actions that it has taken. How do you atone for that? Can you ever atone for that? And then it's it's very reminiscent of people who have been soldiers and leave the military and and laid down their arms, but then suddenly have to figure out, okay, now I have to fight again. How do I find that willingness to do it again in a situation where I'm forced to do so? I don't know. I I I think it sounds like an interesting premise to me. I wonder if uh, this was put into production back when Jerry Van Dyke was still alive. My mother, the spaceship. I don't know. It's a... Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm the one that went obscure this time. <laughs> yeah, but when you go obscure, you go like ancient obscure. You go like, you like, like first first season of TV. Wow. Yeah, and that's impressive. When Andy says you go ancient, that's uh, wow. Yeah. Why you? <laughs> so what is this? What Andy's caveman and your protozoa? How is that? How can this go? <laughs> uh, I would like to pretend I'm a velociraptor, but I'm probably an iguanodon. <laughs> He's the ancient alien who made caveman happen. That, that's right. I'm I'm, uh, I'm Zoroaster. I'm uh, I'm Mithras. <laughs> So there you have it. You got Colony 2, Fourth Realm, Unidentified with Demi Lovato, and Embers of War. So this begs the question, gentlemen, Steve, where do you put your green light? Not on Unidentified. Every one of those people involved in that show needs to be taken out and and, uh, taunted mercilessly. (laughs) And then taunted another time. (laughs) And taunted another time. Um, Like I say, Fourth Realm, uh, that's just really not my cup of tea. I um, it's between Colony 2 or Embers of War. I would like to see a good sci-fi comedy. I mean, I'll, you know, although, shoot, we got Lower Decks. We got, I mean, I would say the Orville, but the Orville's turned into almost straight Star Trek these days. Yeah, Orville's a good mix Yeah, of both. Embers of War 
could be good. I, I'm also just a little tired of dystopian futures. And it sounds like it might have a little of that going on. I'm, I'm ba- basically, I'm tired of dark and gritty. In, in the, in the uh, mid-2021, uh, I'm tired of dark and gritty. <laughs> As a DC fan. <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> so I think I may just go with Colony 2, just based on that. Although Colony 2 and Embers of War both sound like they could be uh, pretty fun, pretty interesting. Jeff, where do you put your green light? Mm, I'm with Steve. I, it definitely comes down to Colony 2 or Embers of War. But uh, I just, I really like the, the potential that Embers of War has. So I think I'm going to go with Embers of War. All right. Andy, where you put your green? I'm on Embers of War. It sounds like a uh, big, again, Colony, like everyone's saying, Colony or Embers of War. And uh, Embers sounds like it has enough levels to make it interesting. Uh, I suspect Colony would be good, too, but I'm going to throw my money behind Embers. Kirsten, where's yours? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm still gobsmacked by unidentified. That's just, (laughs) that really just floored me. I was, and I was amazed, Todd, you lasted as long as you did reading all that. So, because that was something. (laughs) And Fourth Realm, Fourth Realm has so much that I'm like, ooh, that, ooh. But it really, it just didn't, the pitch didn't come together for me. And, you know, until you read Embers of War, I was like Colony 2, because that sounds sounds good. Seth Myers, Northwestern alum, you got to vote purple. But <laughs> Embers of War, Embers of War, actually, uh, that actually caught my attention. So I'm, I, I want more misery and failed civilization <laughs> and society sucks and... <laughs> So I'm embers of war. See, I just think we've had 14 months of that, and I just don't want any more. <laughs> 14 months? Well, I don't know. actually, yeah, four years. <laughs> four years. <laughs> yeah. And that's our breakout star. The green light goes to embers of war. So which of these do you think are fake? Uh, let's start with you, Andy. Uh, well, I, I know that damn Demi Lovato thing is real because it's too stupid to be made up. Um <laughs> I'm going to go with Fourth Realm just because I really want the uh, two I chose between to be the right ones, the real ones. Steve, what do you think's fake? I'm kind of with Andy on this one, Uh, but I have a hunch Embers of War is the fake one. Jeff, what do you think's fake? Probably because I want it to be a good one because I would want to watch it. I think it's probably Embers of War. Because it sounds like something that is just, you know, different enough that it's probably not being made by an actual studio and and would be a a divergence from all the common stuff that's on TV right now. And Kirsten, what do you think's fake? I'm actually going to join in on that. I would want to say um, Fourth Realm. Uh, like the Andy argument, because I want Colony 2 and Embers of War to actually be real. But I'm I'm sort of with Jeff. I think Embers of War, it, it falls in the too-good-to-be-true category. Although sometimes we've been pleasantly surprised. But And boy, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be humiliated or what if it's actually unidentified. 
it's like we got to write an open apology to Hollywood or something if it turns out that that was the fake one. But anyway, oh Embers of War. You got to apologize to Pat Spurl if that's a fake one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, God. In this case, uh, the correct one is Andy, Fourth Realm. Was oh. the was the pitches bitches that was sent to us by Justin Nozek? Good job, Justin. Thank you for sending right. that to us. Which means that Colony Two, unidentified with Demi Lovato, and ah. Embers of War are all in some form of development. Now, I well, as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, unidentified sounds like a throwaway joke on a Black Mirror episode. It just. It sounds oh. like it sounds like the one with um with the uh, uh, Osborne. Osborne? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and and oh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds exactly like that, just with a different celebrity. Yeah. Oh, God. And wow. they chose aliens instead of ghosts. And then there yeah. was the one where Rob Lowe went out with his kids. Oh God! Yeah, that, that one. one. <laughs> I tell you, it's a money maker. Oh, is <laughs> this it? is the one we need the green light. Everyone, everyone knows this, and they they're gonna tune in. But you know why? Because they saw like the song "Cool for the Summer." <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to send us a pitches, bitches, uh, write to us comments at uglycouchshow.com. Put pitches, bitches in the subject heading, and then give me the pitch. If you don't want me to adjust it, please put so in the body of the text. And uh, keep sending them in. Uh, the pitches are great, and we I really appreciate it. You may, It's you that make this game fun. So thank mm-hmm. you for sending them in. And, uh, and until next week, I am Master Torgo. Hey, it's Jeff. Ender K. Fact-check, Andy. Professor Biggs. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. All right, Todd, admit it. You you actually got shivers and a, and, a, and a little wet when you were reading the article on unidentified and were like, oh, I've got to use this. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and I'd like to pitch my own show. Uh, what the fuck was that with Master Torgo? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Where Master Torgo drags 80s Jeff around the desert <laughs> and just points out for the dark and goes, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it was nothing. Absolutely nothing. And would probably That's oddly be more entertaining than the Demi Lovato project. Oh, my God. Yeah. And every time, it turns out to be a clamper's plaque. <laughs> <laughs> and Eddie pops up somewhere in his button-down red shirt. <laughs> what the fuck oh was that? God. Do you I'm know what the significance of this rock is? <laughs> no, but I have a feeling you're going to tell us. <laughs> then the they're kind of in the 1%. That's one of the woo, you okay? I'm sorry, I'm commenting on video. It it just looked like Jeff was about to have a seizure. But I um, sneezed and I muted the mic so you guys wouldn't <laughs> hear that. I should have I should have muted the video too. Sorry. <laughs> Just funny because it was totally quiet. There was no noise whatsoever, but you grabbed your face and went through these convulsions, and it was just like, oh, Jesus. Somebody call the cops or something. <laughs> anyway. Um, Jesus, somewhere at some point, Kay, during your, uh, your thing, 
I don't know what something flicked to me and, and everything was funny to me. And I, I, I was trying to suppress it, but it was not working. The, the phrase early on, he said cyberpunk and the phrase cyberpunky Brewster came to my head. And from that point on, <laughs> from that point on, it was gone. Folks, when you go out and travel, make sure to travel safely. You want to pack all your data safely. You don't want to lose it in transit. Be sitting in a hotel waiting for some nincompoop from an airport to bring your data to you. So always travel with Cybertrunk. Cybertrunk, you can pack all your data in it, take it with you anywhere in the world, and it'll be totally and completely safe. Cybertrunk. Cling film. Yeah, it's cling film. It's cling wrap. Andy, I think, would have a hard time existing in Britain because all of their terms for things would make his head hurt. And it's an awfully big head. Uh, but I have a hunch Embers of War is the fake one. <coughs> you have a mute button, Steve. I know. I, I, I couldn't get to it in time. It was... <laughs> As he turned his head and inhaled deeply. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and covered the mic, which actually increased the sound of the cough. I know. That's yeah. sorry about that. Actually you, you actually turned towards the mic when you coughed. I know. I was like, 